Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain a leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Today we are interviewing Guy Kasky, who I met in Orlando at Exponential, and we got a lot in common. Uh, He's into multiplying networks of churches, multiplying movements of churches. Uh, He's had a super interesting life. He's been in the Horn of Africa. He's working with, he's a white guy working with hip-hop artists in Texas. Uh, Incredible guy, and just kind of followed a path, and that path has led him to really some fruitful ministry. Oddly, here's a microchurch guy who is a part of a megachurch that actually believes in what we're all doing and talking about here. So, hey, Guy, just welcome to the podcast, and I'm so excited to have you on here today. Thank you, Ralph. Grateful to be here. So I want to go back. I I always like to hear people's story, and I think, you know, the people that are listening to this mostly are in transition. That's my perception anyway. Uh, People who are kind of getting with the program in terms of multiplication, disciples making disciples, but some are at the point now where it's movements making movements. A lot of them are in the in the deal where I'm doing a, a kind of a prevailing model church. I'm trying to get over into micro church. I see the opportunity. It's not working as well as I wished it would work. And they're going to be listening to all the little itty bitty pieces that you got that 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 are the things you probably won't even mean to say, but come dripping out in between. But so I want to kind of go back and start with how did you come to Christ? Let's let's go there. And then how did you get into ministry? And then this incredible twisty, windy path that you followed. Uh, we, we're going to milk it for all it's worth. Yeah. So I I love to, to say tongue in cheek that I was raised a resident redneck and now I find myself in inner city hoods and in the horn of Africa. But uh, I I really grew up with a passion for athletics. Um, specifically, probably the number one was football, but I played about six different sports growing up. And I had a knee injury early on in high school that sent me on a, really a hell-raising tailspin because I lost football. They told me I couldn't play anymore from a knee injury. And I really didn't know what to do but to medicate and, and kind of go wild is the way that, that I went. And, and that went through all the way through high school into my sophomore year of college I was so prideful and arrogant all during that time. I wouldn't admit that I had a problem at all. It was everybody else was the problem. And I began to have that, you know, if you're familiar with the matrix, that splinter in your mind about maybe there's something wrong. And I began to say, why am I, I, at this time, I'm smoking weed every day, about a a year and a half straight, dealing it out of the back of my Monte Carlo, going to a community school. And I start thinking I should be a college athlete. I should not be going to community school. There's something wrong with me. Not that there's anything wrong with community school, but I wanted to play ball. And that just began to nag at me. Well, after that year, I was 20 years old at this time. In that same summer, uh, I was dating a girl for about a year and a half and uh, certainly treated her poorly, really didn't know what real love was. 
And she went off to the Bahamas with her family, came back and dumped my butt. And then I really said at that point, there is something wrong, guy. You need to really evaluate yourself. And I started slipping into depression and I started, I started just whispering, God, help me. God, help me. And in my mind, I believe the spirit of God spoke to me. And I, I don't know where this came from. I have a little bit of religious background. My, my mom's claimed to be a Methodist at that time. My dad claimed to be Baptist, but we didn't darken the door of church a lot. And I heard this voice. The Bible is the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. And I said, I think I have one of those. And I dug into my shelf and found that Gideon Bible that had Psalms in it and topics in it. And I began to just read it cover to cover. And this was in June of 86. Um, I'm 20 years old and I, I read it in two weeks, just devoured it. And it was just like oil, uh, just salved to the wounds of my heart. And I felt my spirit begin to lift. But the thing that really got me is when I got to 1 Corinthians 13, that love chapter. And yes, the, the actions of love, what love does, I knew I didn't have that. And I knew that there was something amiss there. But what really exploded in my heart is when I got to that verse 11, when Paul said, you know, I reasoned like a child, you know, I, I, I thought like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And in that process over that two weeks, when I came to that point, I said, man, Jesus, will you help me? I've been reading about you. Will you help me become a man? And, um, and I stopped, I stopped doing marijuana immediately. And there was just something that changed in me. I began to to my spirits began to lift. And I began to tell people my story about how my bedroom, Jesus changed my life and just continued from that point until today, what would that be? 36 years. I have consistently and continually read the word of God and the spirit of God and the word of God have radically changed my life. And because of that foundation, um, I often would, I'm in, in Texas, I'm in the Bible belt, and I would see the way that I would read what the works of the kingdom and, and Jesus are in the book. And then I would look at the way that we were structured and even the way the religious culture operated here, and it just didn't quite fit to me. And that, I think that's been key in my journey is that I was grounded in the word and I was not using secondary sources to learn the spirit of God and the word of God. And then I got some good disciplers that started discipling me. And that really made all the difference. That's cool. So fast forward to how did you, how did you get involved making disciples who made disciples? Cause that's really the story of your life. That's correct. Y yes, I am. Um, like I said, I started sharing my faith like crazy and I started winning people to Christ. I was, uh, I, I went from the community school to the university of Houston and became the, the, the head of security, at one of our prestigious, uh, golf clubs and country clubs here and led about six out of nine of the employees to Christ. But I knew that there was something amiss as they were, as that they were coming on, but I couldn't help them grow. And I had a, a older gentleman began to invest in me and I was trying to figure out what, what is it? What do I need to do to help these people grow? And then I got connected to a church planting team that my spiritual father came out, basically that I helped that church plant. 
And then they brought in my spiritual father, Charles Culpepper, and he really modeled for me a ton about what disciple making was all about. But I also was a huge Dawson Trotman and Navigators fan. Oh, so that, was I when that, I was a kid. Yes, that whole born to reproduce booklet, you know, yeah, yeah. one man, that was big. And really Charles modeled it for me. But I always had a passion to teach others and to share right from the very beginning it was almost intuitive, but Charles really helped me carry forward to see how the deeper life, the incarnational life, as well as the need to learn how to share your story and his story. And he began to feed me books like crazy. Uh, you know, Jim Elliott, you know, J.O. Frazier, George Mueller. Well, at the same time, we're reading the word of God and, and really working on starting this church. And I just started pouring my life into students and teaching them what God had taught me. And we started working from there. And then I started learning about best practices and tools that helped me carry it exponentially over the years of doing this. I got around some incredible missionaries connected to the International Mission Board, and we started living this stuff out in such a way we started learning some really good tools that work cross-culturally. You know, I got introduced to DBS, you know, the sword method very early on, those kinds of things. You know, I think all of us are working cross-culturally in our own country these days, and we really need to understand those those missionary methods. Uh, you know, we go in, I mean, sometimes we're going in assume, assuming that we'd still live in a Christian country, assuming that we're in, you know, in the majority, and we're yes. not. It's like when I went to Japan, I had to learn to eat raw fish. Uh, twice I've had to eat live fish. Uh, first wow. thing I had to learn to do was put a fork aside and learn to use chopsticks. I had to learn a language. I had to learn there's a cultural language. There's, you know, yeah. you can you can speak the language and still mess things up royally because, you know, and um, yeah, I, I think that uh, a, a lot of it is just we need a big dose of humility as we're approaching our friends and neighbors who basically think that we're weird at this point. Yeah. Yes, that's exact. I couldn't agree with you more. And I love to say that, you know, we need to be doing it here and there. And one of the problems that I ran into by coaching and mentoring missionaries, particularly in the Horn of Africa, is that they were part of systems and structures that they did not do discipleship here. And so they weren't very effective there. And many of them used me and their work to piggyback on mine and Kelly's story because we were doing it here meeting from our home, house to house, making disciples. And we would come in and share our story with their strategy and help them train the indigenous, the national Ethiopians to reach not only their community, but then then go and multiply out from there. Pretty amazing stuff. So how did you, did you end up in Africa? We, we in 1999, we went on our first trip, and that was one of our, our thoughts. But what we ended up doing is, is basically commuting back and forth and then mobilizing our community pastors who weren't paid pastors, but they were, they were shepherding and leading house churches as well as some of their disciples to, to, to go and do the training and help us with the strategy there and so we ended up commuting and we've been going back and forth i've been over 40 times you know sometimes the longest close to a month but we go back two and three times a year and our key apostolic leaders that are nationals come and stay with us 
And so we're, we're like family. I mean, there's one particular family that we've been walking this out with from the very beginning. They were in the underground church in the early days when the communists took over and they're just amazing, amazing people. And we've seen God Ralph go from the city to, to the outskirts of about 13 different multiplying networks of, of movement. One area, we have a thousand leaders. We can't even count the amount of churches that are multiplied in this particular region. And it's been just an incredible move of God. So when you say a thousand leaders and you, and you can't count the number of churches, instantly people who are listening to this are going, oh my gosh, that's so far away from me. Uh, you know, I'm struggling to get something going on here. For one, I believe that the, the commuter missionary that you are is is a future model for the church. That's what I've been in Japan. I, I, I did it in Mongolia. We got a church multiplication movement going in Mongolia. Did it in ne- Nepal. Uh, again, a church multiplication movement. Did it in um, uh, Myanmar. And uh, not much came out of it. And I've been in a bunch of other countries, but those are one-offs. But the commuter deal, uh, it it, it pays off. I do a thing with a bunch of Nigerians and South Asians in London. And I go, in fact, I'm going in about three weeks. I go every year. And the guy guy asked me to come, and and I said I would come. And I'd raise the money and all that, you know. And he goes, yeah, but I don't want you unless you commit to at least six years. And so this is the sixth year. And now we're getting out of business. It's This is the first time that we're not doing a big old seminar with a whole bunch of people in the room. We're going to get a dozen people. Oh, I and, love it. And, and so it took six years to get to that. I'm excited about it. I, I think yeah. it's really where it's going. But I want you to to, to come back again to, to startup times. You know, the first time that you went to uh, Ethiopia, what, what was that like? How did you make contact with people? Because again, I'm I'm the guy over here who's, who's hearing this and I got somebody's asked me to go to, you know, Nigeria, or I've got an opportunity to go into Ivory coast, or maybe it's into someplace in Venezuela. And I'm not quite sure what are my next steps? How, how did you venture out doing this kind of stuff? Well, we were asked to be a part of a vision team that, um, that was connected to a strategy in the capital city that identified a, a swath through the center of the city that they called the red zone of about 1.4 million uh, unreached in this city. About 99% of that region, particular area of the city was unreached. And in, in they, their strategy, they knew the only strategy was going to work in this, this part of the city was a, a house-to-house model. And we were asked to join a team because we were the only house-to-house uh, church in, in Houston, a part of the association of churches that we were connected to. And, but what I feel like helped us to connect with people there is one, we had lived it out of our home Two, we came there to serve the people and what, what, you know, what their hearts were and to identify their hearts and then to just serve them to multiply kingdom principles and their disciples who would multiply. And we identified, you know, Burhanu who was in that underground church I talked about earlier and he was driving a bus and I'm going, I mean, driving us around logistics. I'm going, why is this guy doing logistics? He ought to be leading this thing. Um, And, and so 
I just, I, I knew that there was something unique about him. I began to engage him in relationship. My wife and I both just developed a, a very close bond with him and then eventually his wife. And it just flowed out of a relational aspect that, but of course we had experience, I think, to be able to identify. I think a lot of times people don't know what to look for is because they're not, we need to be a person of peace before we can find a person of peace. And I feel like a lot of it is that we don't have the experience of actually sharing our faith, teaching someone else to share their faith, teaching someone else how to multiply getting out of the way where we need to and serving people. We don't know what that looks like because we haven't done it. You can't pass on what you do not possess. And that's a key piece of it. So, so then back up a, a step further. Uh, I, I'm, I'm the pastor. I'm, I lead a church of 160 people and we're barely making budget and I'm worried all the time. And and I, I hear all this stuff about microchurch. I, I know I'm supposed to be making disciples. I'm not really, uh, you know, I got a couple people. They're not all that interested. I'd like to reach out to my neighbors. Um, my neighbors are immigrants. I, I don't, I, I mean, I, I get it, guy. You have to be an A-past evangelist. I, I mean, just the way you're wired, the way you talk, the way you comport yourself, you, you have a gift. But the Bible says we're all to do the work of an evangelist. So here, here's a guy who's kind of struggling. What, what do I do? Um, do I invite my neighbor out for pizza? Or, I mean, what, do, do I go over there and ask to borrow his lawnmower? How, how, do you, how did you start making contact with people uh, where you live, right, in your own neighborhood? That's a great question. So one of the things that we did, we were in a new development in, um, in west side of Houston, uh, fairly at this time, middle-class area, a lot of new, new home buyers really. And so one of the things that I did was that I drug my grill into my garage, rather than grilling in the back, I chose to grill in the front and I waved at my neighbors every time they drove by. And then over time, they began to ask me, what are you doing? What are you grilling? What are you cooking? I said, man, I'm, I'm cooking the best yard bird around. You want to come join me? Why don't you come on down? Bring some meat. Bring your kids and play. And we'll play ball in the street. And we'll enjoy our time with the kids and sit around here and talk. And so, I mean, it was just as simple as that. And in that very street, we ended up baptizing five people. Uh, led an entire family to Christ. They became community pastors and had a house church three doors down from us that we didn't even go to. And so, I mean, that's how it started was being friends, but also to your point to that pastor is that one of the things that I, I can easily build relationships and win people to Christ, but it wasn't until I learned some simple tools like, you know, DBS, teaching people how to use DBS, teaching people something like the three circles or the two kingdoms to make sure that I have trained everyone in my church to share their story and his story. And it ought to be able to just come out of us. We ought to be competent and confident at doing it. And part of it is because we're not practicing it in our church gatherings. So then we get outside and we're horrible at it. And so I feel like that's a big key to start with is teach everyone in your church to share their story and his story in the simplest way they can. Within 90 seconds to three minutes, they ought to be able to do both of those things. So tell me how to do that in 90 seconds. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm that guy who's sitting out there. You know, I, I'm, I'm actually writing a book right now on, on how to equip your people to share their faith. 
but but suppose I'm a pastor and I don't know how to do that. Um, it, 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 let's make it worse. I have a friend who's in um, an old church, 110 year old church, and most of his members are over 60. And he's trying to he's trying to motivate him. What 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 should he, what should he do? How how do how do we get it down to where they know how to deliver their faith and to deliver it in short order? Yeah, I mean, so I mean, one of the things that that we do is we we teach the tools, and but you can't. One of the things we have to do is you know part of this has to do with the spiritual heart. And unfortunately, I feel like sometimes we've taught the DNA of the kingdom right out of people. And we, yeah. we've created, you know, obese Christians that have not exercised yeah. their faith yeah. in years. And they've been consuming and receiving and they've not they've not done anything. So that's a, a matter of heart. We got to pray. Right. We've got a model for them. But then once, you know, you get people that say, you know, teach me, help me how to do that. It's, it's real simple. You know, we, we do a 15 minutes, a 90 second and a three minute, uh, my story or testimony. And so my life before Christ, I was selfish, but then there was a time in my life where I realized I needed God to help me become a man. And one of the things that God says, the man after God's own heart has a desire for his eternal purpose, which means he wants disciples and churches to cover the earth. And that's my story. Do you have a story like that? And so it's before Christ, how and when I received Christ. And do you have a story like that? Or one of the things I love to do whenever I want to bless somebody, and this is not as reproducible as when I have a $20 bill, I will tell a waiter or waitress one, every time I'm at a, I'm with a waiter or waitress and it's time for me to pray for the food. I ask them, can I pray for you? I'm going to pray for my food. And that begins to prep them for a spiritual conversation. Then when it comes tip time, I don't call it jip time. I call it tip time. And so I actually have a $20 bill that I will often use. And I'll say at 20 years old, old Jesus Christ changed my life. He was the greatest gift I ever received. I'm giving you this $20 and I hope you will evaluate that gift and, and receive Jesus too. Is there any way that we can talk about this another time? So just simple things like that, that are simple, reproducible tools. And so now throughout all of our networks, man, people, when they go out to eat, when it's time to pray, they ask the waiter or waitress, can I pray for you? And it's just reproducible. And then we also have taught them the three circles, which is just a simple tool of three circles. The first circle is brokenness. Our world is in brokenness. My life was in brokenness. And then the next circle is God's perfect design. He, he didn't... He didn't create us to be broken. He created us to be whole. He has a perfect design for us. So how in the world did we get from God's perfect design to brokenness? Well, the Bible calls that sin, trying to do stuff our own way. That's how I ended up in brokenness, because I felt like I could do it better than God. Well, God heard me in my cry of brokenness and sin, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, and he came, he died, he was buried, he rose again, and he will return for his people. But he's the only way to get from brokenness back to his design. Now, this is a circle. I'm drawing this out. So it's a visual, an icon. It's beautiful. And so then I'll draw the way you need to get back to God's design is to turn and follow him. And so you turn and follow him. And then when you choose to turn and follow him, believing that Jesus is who he says he is, that hero that came for you, he will give you his spirit. He will give you people around you. He will give you the word of God that will help you grow. But it doesn't stop there. 
He wants you to go back into brokenness and share, just like I'm sharing with you, his incredible story of hope. So where do you find yourself today out of these three these three circles? And these two circles of brokenness and God's design, where are you? Are you near or far? And that is the gospel. And so you, you ask them where they are, and sometimes they'll say in the middle, you say, well, where do you want to be? And they'll say, well, I want to be close. So I say, well, do you believe Jesus who says he is? Can I lead you in a prayer using this to, to go from brokenness to God's design? And then if they say they're a believer, I'm saying, well, tell me about how you're growing and going. <laughs> tell me, how are you growing and going? Can I teach you and train you how to grow and go? Because there are many believers who said a prayer at one time and meant it, but they've never been taught how to grow and go following fish. Yeah. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.